Welcome back to Buddhist Solutions for Life's Problems, where we talk about how to apply SGI Nidrian Buddhism to the challenges of daily life. And welcome to part three, the final part of our mini-season about Buddhism and business. If you haven't listened to the introduction yet, we do recommend that you go back and do that, as it's a brief overview that's helpful context for today's episode. If you're just joining, in part three, we're going to be hearing the story of a woman named Toki Masubuchi, who's a restaurateur in Kentucky. This episode is all about how to find the energy to keep working toward your goals, no matter what you're faced with, especially if you're building something from scratch and don't have prior experience doing so. I want to open today with some words from Steve Saperstein, who has been our guide through all of these episodes. Steve has been practicing Buddhism and running a business for many decades now, and I called him to help me understand how to apply certain Buddhist concepts to the world of business. One thing that he said to me in our conversation really stuck with me, and as soon as I heard Toki's story, I knew this is what he was talking about. Here's Steve. Buddhism is about effort. In other words, everywhere where you see the word faith in Buddhism, you can almost exchange effort, okay, in that space, okay? Now the chanting will give you the energy, okay, to make a tremendous effort. In part one, we heard the story of Luis Nieves and explored what it really takes to develop an unshakable sense of conviction and to figure out what your purpose is. And in part two, we heard the story of Mitika Kara and what it takes to find and use your unique voice. Well, Toki's story combines all of the above, but I will start at the beginning. Toki Masabuchi owns two restaurants and a bar in Kentucky and southern Indiana. She started practicing SGI Nitrian Buddhism in her 20s when she moved to the U.S. from Japan. But she had been introduced to it as a child when her mom started chanting nam myoho renge yeah, my mom started it when I was um, like 10 years old, when I was still in Japan. But I didn't really, that was, the Buddhism is kind of like, for me, it was for older people that, that you know, you preparing for, for <laughs> end of the life. So I didn't think that was something, anything related to me that I have to practice. So I really didn't do anything until... I was. I moved to to Louisville and started going to college and started having problems. Toki had moved to Kentucky right after finishing high school in Japan, and it was nothing like what she imagined the U.S. to be. So when she was invited to attend an SGI Buddhist meeting on one New Year's Day, she decided to go, and she chanted for the first time since she was a child. I don't know why, but I came home and I chanted one more time when I got home. It was just different. Um, it felt like um, something activated in my life. And it was just uh, the experience I had that day was nothing I had, like, I felt nothing like that um, before. So from that day on, I never stopped chanting. At the time, she was in college studying communications. But as soon as she started practicing Buddhism consistently, she quickly realized that's not what she wanted to do. She had originally come to America to learn English. But aside from the goal of learning English, she also realized that she didn't really know what her purpose was in life. And so she started chanting to try to figure it out. Slowly, a path started to open. Here's some context. Toki had grown up in a home where food was really important, as her dad worked for a big chain restaurant in Japan. 
he started working as a dishwasher, and then I think he ended up、um, becoming one of the managers. So it, I grew up in a house that、uh, food was very central.、Um, I didn't grow up like wealthy family or anything like that, just regular house, household. But food was always like something he would go,、um, like not buy food from the.、Um, Grocery stores, but he would go to like fish market. When Toki got married, her parents came to the U.S. for her wedding, where she served grocery bought sushi. Unsurprisingly, her dad was not happy. After witnessing his reaction, the idea crossed Toki's mind that maybe she could open a Japanese restaurant, since it was hard to find good Japanese food where she lived. She had already had experience working as a server throughout college. But beyond that, no other experience in the food industry. So my dad said, you know, to open a restaurant, you have to have an experience. So、um, find something small to start. And、uh, I was, I think I was, yeah, I went to that fish market to buy fish, and they were looking for somebody to make sushi there. So it's like, well, I can, <laughs> I can try to do that. So Toki leased a small space inside the fish market, bought the biggest cutting board she could find at Walmart, and took a very small loan from her dad. I couldn't afford to buy like a refrigerator and、um, sandwich tables and stuff like that. So I、um, used everything、um, was inside the fish market,、um, borrowed a space, a fridge space and freezer space and things like that, and.、Uh, Just went went out to like Asian grocery stores and bought、um, biggest rice cookers they had.、Um, like I bought, you know the container, plastic containers、uh, that it, you put like toys and stuff. And I put I would put ice in there and then put ingredients instead of like sushi bar state you know sushi bar station. But I couldn't afford it, so it was. Plastic inside a ice. For a year and a half, she worked at the fish market and was determined to prove to her dad that she could do it. Eventually, she started making twenty to fifty dollars a day in sales, which wasn't nearly enough to cover her expenses. Then, at the end of the year, I didn't know about taxes. So, at the end of the year, when I filed the taxes, I owed money because I never paid taxes because I didn't know about it. So I'm making like nine hundred dollars a month, and my rent was six hundred dollars for my apartment. You know that's not including <laughs> then I paid the utilities and stuff like that. So I basically had nothing, and I ate everything was left over,、uh, whatever we didn't sell. That was my lunch and dinner.、Um, <laughs> you know, and then at the end of the year. I didn't have money to、um, pay taxes.、So、I had to call my dad again. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I didn't save any money,、um, but we found a spot that、um, to expand the business. And he was like, "Well, let's just go for it." This time, Toki's dad loaned her fifty thousand dollars and told her to find a place that used to be a restaurant that she could clean up to open her own, which she did. She found a place with 50 seats inside and another 50 outside for warm weather. But then things started going south with her dad. 
When he came to visit and they were moving into the restaurant, they started having disagreements and fought almost every day to the point that he got angry and left to go back home to Japan before the restaurant even opened. So I was like left alone, like what, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> you know, like he was supposed to teach me all that things I don't know about. Um, actually, operating the restaurant. You know, I, I, I can cook, I can wash dishes, but there are so many other things I don't know about. And he was supposed to teach me that, but he was like, I can't work with you. And at the airport, he,、um, he said, You're gonna fail, but you have to pay me back. And he did not turn around at the airport and he just like took off. When Toki was telling me this story, though, she smiled and immediately brought up the Buddhist concept karma into mission, the same one that Lewis brought up in part one. Simply put, karma into mission basically means turning your circumstances or the cards you were dealt into your purpose in order to encourage other people. She had always had a tough relationship with her dad, who didn't practice Buddhism. So Toki decided in that moment that this restaurant was not only going to be the way that she proved to her dad she could succeed in business, but also be a way for her to demonstrate the power of her Buddhist practice. She was only 27 at the time. Let's take a quick pause for the first key point from today's episode, which is that whatever our situation is, we can turn it into our purpose. Consider these words from Buddhist philosopher Daisaku Ikeda in the book The Wisdom for Creating Happiness and Peace. He writes Everything that happens in our lives has meaning. Moreover, the way of life of practitioners of Nichiren Buddhism is to find and discover meaning in all things. This is not just a matter of outlook. Changing the world starts by changing our fundamental state of mind. This is a key Buddhist principle. A powerful determination to transform even negative karma into mission can dramatically transform the real world. By changing our inner state of mind, we can change any suffering or hardship into a source of joy, regarding it as a means for forging and developing our lives. To turn even sorrow into a source of creativity, that is the way of life of practitioners of Nichiren Buddhism. It's like, you know, like how we say, like making it impossible possible.、Um, like, if, if people can overcome illnesses by believing our potential,、um, I thought I can believe in my potential.、Um, I can bring up the highest potential I have,、uh, is hidden in me, in my life. Um, to, to come up to,、um, to be. So Toki decided to do her best day by day. She had no sign for the restaurant, no credit card machine, and couldn't serve alcohol because she couldn't afford a liquor license or the alcohol. But she chanted Nam Myoho Renge Kyo every day to find a way forward. She also studied Buddhism to deepen her understanding of the concepts she was trying to put into practice, and she dove into her local Buddhist community, where she found great support from the people around her. Then, one day, a friend who really believed in her told her, I'm going to make a reservation for February, so you have to be open by then. This gave Toki the push to keep going, and sure enough, she was able to open by February. We were missing a lot of things, but Just open. And it didn't really matter because we didn't have any customers. So. 
All this while, Toki was grappling with a deep internal lack of confidence that she used chanting as well as studying to tackle. And then she had a big realization about herself. You know, like I feel bad to my dad or my parents that um, I'm sorry you sent me to college, but I don't have like good job. Um, but after studying practice in this Buddhism, I feel like, I, you know, I really thought like it's okay to be me. It's okay to be who I am, and this is what I want to do, and um, this is how I can contribute to um, creating peace in the world. Once the doubt and judgment of herself started to fade away through chanting, she also became a lot more clear on her purpose and excited about her vision for the restaurant. Rather than just being a place where she could earn income and pay the bills and pay her dad back, she started reflecting on her purpose in the community in which she lived. I really wanted to feed the middle class <laughs> people. Um, that is the core of, you know, moving the society. And then I wanted, I wanted us to uh, feel um, empowered by serving good food people come like even if you come in a bad mood if we can if i can put good energy into my food and in serving it if anybody even one person can feel my energy and and to leave the restaurant happy and that smile that person's smile can possibly affect somebody else and that smile can affect somebody else into to um, to making the change in the in the community. So um, so yeah, I, I really started chanting to, to um, making happy rice. Um, at some point, I opened a rice cooker. Like this, those rice look so happy. And I will call my staff and look at this rice. They look so happy. <laughs> so you know, and then I put good energy in, and I ask servers to. Um, carry that energy to the table and to make a change for that person you are serving, um, you know, give them good energy to, to take it out to the restaurant. Eventually, Toki's restaurant got a really good review in a local newspaper, and from that day on, it became very busy. She was finally able to build a savings, and with the savings from the restaurant, she was able to open a second restaurant, which she named the Dragon King's Daughter. If you listen to part two, yes, that's the same Dragon King's Daughter from the story that Mitika was inspired by. Toki had also been studying the letters of Nichiren Daishonin, and one day had come across the story of the Dragon King's Daughter. As a reminder, it's a story in which a dragon girl who is told that because she's a girl, she cannot attain enlightenment, says that she will anyway, watch me, and then she does. It was very sensational to me that, um, that back then, attain, women couldn't attain enlightenment um, to she comes and watch me um, attain enlightenment. And I felt really inspired, inspired, encouraged, um, that if she could do it, I could do it. And at the same time, I always wanted to be the example of how this practice works. 
While her first restaurant was a Japanese restaurant, the Dragon King's Daughter was a Japanese-Mexican fusion restaurant, the idea for which came from Toki learning about Mexican food from the kitchen staff that she would work with. Now you see a lot of fusion, but back then um, there wasn't that much. So I would, um, like we had like salmon teriyaki it tacos or the pizza with sashimi. Um, so something that uh, you think it's impossible is possible. Um, it, you know, who, 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 who say you can't do this? Um, <laughs> you know, somebody said a woman can attain enlightenment. She did. Who, who said you can't put sashimi on top of pizza? So <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> And, you know, so many, so many people said, oh, well, I don't do sushi. So, well, it's okay if you don't do sushi. We have, we have tacos. <laughs> this ended up being one of the most grueling times in Toki's life, because shortly after the restaurant opened, she both found out that she was pregnant and was going through a divorce. So my stomach was like about to explode and it's still... <laughs> still running around and after she was born I had her on my back I don't know health department would let me say but I had her in the kitchen on my back rolling food and we couldn't you know we didn't I mean it, it was still struggling financially still not like great great because she couldn't afford to hire that many staff she had to be in the kitchen all the time so I will like make food and have my daughter on my back and then serving the food with my daughter on the back <laughs> and then sometimes she would be um, we had a little office upstairs so she would go in the office and we had the monitor in the kitchen and if she cries I'll go like hold on just a second and I'll go upstairs and feed her and put her to sleep and then, and then go back to work. What was so encouraging about Toki telling this story is that she shared how much she enjoyed the entire process because she felt so fulfilled by her purpose. She didn't feel like she was working all the time because she loved being there. And while she did struggle with having very little time with her daughter, she also didn't resent work. The restaurant became so successful that Toki was invited to open a second location in Indiana by a downtown development organization. Initially, though, she said it was too much work and declined the offer, but they came back two more times. The second time, she was pregnant and felt like she couldn't handle it. But by the third time, she decided she should try. The bank wouldn't loan me money still. Um, so the city had a program that um, loan businesses some money. So we, we borrowed that um, used that 50000 to start another restaurant. So it was still like very, very tight budget to um, open the restaurant. When I asked Toki how she approached managing the growth of her restaurants, she shared that because she really had no training, she just made her Buddhist practice the basis of her life in order to unlock the wisdom and energy to do what she needed to do in the best way. I really didn't think about it so much um, because I didn't know what to do. Uh, so all I did was the basic practice. I, I chanted, I studied, I did activities as much as I can. Um, there was no, um, you know, use the strategy of the Lotus Sutra before any other. 
So before I think about it, maybe I should do this to make my business better or anything like that. I was just forced to the, to back to chanting forest um, and, and study the writing of Nichen Daishonin. Um, I think sometimes I feel like I'm lucky enough that I'm not so smart. <laughs> That uh, I don't have to think about it. I just, you know, I I can't think on anything. I just I just chant and believe in believe in this practice that um, that single single word faith. I want to return here to the quote I started with from Steve because what Toki actually did was put in enormous effort at every moment based on chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. Here's Steve one more time. Everywhere where you see the word faith in Buddhism, you can almost exchange effort, okay, in that space, okay. Now the chanting will give you the energy, okay, to make a tremendous effort. Over the years, Toki has come to be recognized in her community. The restaurant is a staple in the area and a place that people even come to get engaged. During the pandemic, when restaurants had to shut down and become takeout only, Toki's restaurants survived. At some point, it was very, very scary. But um, just, I think, just a few months or so, we had, um, with the takeout, the one in southern Indiana, um, we had lines outside with the takeout. So the, the, the sales itself came back to almost normal um, to with just the takeout only, with nobody coming to eat. So you know that means it's 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 tough in the kitchen because without alcohol sales, um, we had that much sales. So everything, all the sales came out from the kitchen, not from the bar. What struck me most about what Toki shared is that this culture of care and really striving to impact her customers' day extends to her staff as well some of whom have stayed with her for over a decade, which in an industry with such high turnover is rare. I, I worked in a restaurant where that knife was in the air sometimes or people flipping garbage cans and getting upset and, you know, fighting all the time. And that was really, um, could not happen in my restaurant. Everybody has like something good. And I try to recognize what they're good at um, instead of, um, you know, what they can do, <laughs> you know, they're not good at, um, try to bring out, and then and I ask them to find their staff, um, what, what, what are they good at, and then bring that good out instead of focusing on what they are not good at and then getting upset. So the, the, the energy in the restaurant will be happier. Um, we, we were, not just making money, but we are um, creating uh, peace in the society by serving good food with good attitude. Toki's next dream is to open a restaurant for children who often have the experience being bored at restaurants when their parents are out to eat. In particular, she wants to make cuisines from around the world accessible to them at a young age, which is an idea that she and her daughter came up with together after her daughter experienced bullying in school for bringing in Japanese food. I'll make her lunch to school, 
and people, um, some of the students made fun of her, like, what is that? Um, you know, so they will have experience watching and eating the food around the world to understand um, what the other people eat to, so they can feel like closer to each other. As for Toki's dad, she paid him back for the original loan and then some, and is now able to afford sending him money and buying airplane tickets for him to visit. But what really touched me was an episode that she shared about another scene at the airport, which was so different than the one when he left angry. I was like thinking about that time that you didn't turn around and said, you're going to pay me back and you're going to fail and you took off. This time, when he was at the airport, um, I said, thank you. Without me thinking about it, I just, thank you came up from my mouth. And I was surprised how natural and most, um, most natural way that that word came out. Um, I don't know of any other time that that word came out from my mouth to my dad. And it was just thank you for, I didn't say thank you for anything, just thank you. And then that included everything. Thank you for giving me life. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to use my practice. And now he still doesn't practice, but he's like, he says that um, jokingly because I did that to you, you are able to succeed. <laughs> and we joke about that all the time. <laughs> so what are the takeaways from Toki's story for anyone who might be in a situation where they're currently trying to build something from scratch and may or may not have the relevant experience or resources needed? Let's consider some guidance from Ikeda that Toki's story exemplifies but can actually be applied to any situation. I asked Steve to help me tell the story, so I'll play you some clips from that as well. But here's the context. In the book, The New Human Revolution, Ikeda recounts a story in which he visits Brazil and meets a farmer who has come to ask him for advice. And then he explained that he had recently started farming vegetables, but his crops had failed, leaving him heavily in debt. He wanted to know what he could do to overcome the situation. What was the reason your crops failed? President Ikeda asked. The man couldn't reply satisfactorily to any of the questions that he was asked. As a farmer, he was clearly working hard and trying to do the best he could, but so is everyone else. He was unsure of his own comp complacence in thinking that what he had been doing was enough. Ikeda went on to explain to him in a serious tone. First, it is vital that you thoroughly investigate the cause that led to your crops failing so that you don't make the same mistake again. You might want to talk with farmers who have been successful and take note of what they have to say. It's also important that you take sufficient measures to prevent failure. People who are deadly serious about what they're doing are always studying and exerting their ingenuity to solve problems. You won't be successful if you neglect such things. You are greatly mistaken if you think just because you practice Buddhism, your fields will yield abundant crops without any effort on your part. Buddhism is a teaching of unsurpassed reason. Therefore, the strength of your faith might manifest itself in the form of studying, 
exercising your ingenuity and exerting yourself twice as much effort as anyone else. Thinking about this together with Toki's example, I think that practically speaking, what this looks like on a daily basis is chanting in the morning to be able to do your best and unite with the people you're working with each day out of great respect for the people you're serving, out of seriousness for, out of seriousness for your own goal and great respect for the people you're serving. One of the great values of Buddhism is the treating people with dignity and respect. That's one of the cornerstones. And... Uh, you know, actually friendships, you know, it's a tremendous uh, cornerstone of Buddhism, you know. And it doesn't matter where it's, whether it's in business or family or in your community or country or whatever. You know, I think one of the problems in the world today is people have lost that. Many people have lost that sense of treating people with dignity and kindness and, you know, if you really investigate, you know, great business people, they have found a way, you know, to actually give more than they take in many respects. When I asked Steve what advice he would give to someone who's struggling with any of the above, he shared his own experience running a business and what he tries to do each morning. I feel like this is the best place to end the series because it really demonstrates how to put the power of chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo into practice in any situation where you might be working together with a group of people toward a common goal. In other words, in pretty much any work situation. My own little saying is, uh, is that when I get up in the morning, I intensify in my chanting, okay? I um, unify, then I unify with all my uh, teams, whether it's my manufacturing team, my my uh, my office team, or my client team, okay, and then I solidify the result, okay, based on those two, okay, those two, the efforts on those two is intensifying, okay, and and uh, and unifying, okay, will often bring me to be able to solidify a great result. Okay, now in order to, the middle point, the intensifying is all on me, okay, but unifying, I have to rely on others, okay. Of course, I have to be in unity with myself, my own goals and so on, but then I have to really reach out to others and really unify with my, my, my assistants, okay, my vendors, you know, if I get them, you know, if I treat them with arrogance or you know, I don't respect them, they say, the hell with you, you know. <laughs> you know? And say, so like, of course, my customers have to treat them with the dignity and respect, you know. So, you know, this, it's an ongoing process, okay. Someone who's just beginning, you know, have their own obstacles to all those things, maybe, okay. You know, sometimes it's, it's hard to intensify. What does that mean to intensify? Okay, well, you know, without chanting, it's, it's hard to get a handle on. If I said to you, you should intensify your result, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know? But chanting enables you to really intensify your concentration, okay, intensify your focus. Okay, so, so if you chant for five or ten minutes and you're focused on one thing, even for five or ten minutes, just focused on one thing, okay, it's amazing when you go and do that thing how many layers of 
things that you never even realized before come to light, that you're able to make causes for. It could be a customer. It could be a vendor. You know, if, an example may be, you know, you're, you're chanting about a certain vendor that you need to manufacture something, and when you're talking to him, okay, you know, you discover that uh, some of his machinery is broken, just the way he's talking. He's hiding something. Okay, then you ask him, how's your machinery? And now he lets you know. So now you can't really manufacture with that person. You've got to go somewhere else. So in other words, that's where the chanting comes in. It gives you the wisdom and the insight and the sensitivity. You know, another in dealing with a customer, if you're not sensitive to their needs, you know, and able to listen, you know, to their needs, it's very difficult for them to develop trust and rely on you. You know, in business, that's all very important. You know, the same with your your assistants. If they're overwhelmed or they not they don't understand the project at hand, and you're missing that, okay, there's a good chance that things will fall through the cracks. Okay, so the chanting in the morning, especially your intense daimoku, will give you the eyes, ears, and the life condition. You know, to be able to recognize all those things and to create unity with all those things so that you can make decisions during the day that will lead to a victory in the end. In a sense, Lewis, Mitika, and Toki all engaged in this exact process in their respective work environments. So to conclude, I'm going to leave you with my favorite words from Ikeda on work. He writes, Nature in Buddhism is a philosophy of human revolution and it provides a practice for forging and polishing our lives so that we can be strong and wise, so that we may rise to every challenge that life presents and triumph over it. When you strive to become the best person in your workplace and win the trust of your employer and fellow employees, while at the same time making an earnest effort to practice Buddhism, you'll grow as a person. Faith and prayer enable us to bring forth a strong life force and the necessary wisdom to succeed in that endeavor. Every job demands not only hard work, but also presents a variety of other challenges such as difficulties with relationships. But your job is a place where you can polish and perfect yourself as a person. <laughs>